I think Michigan gets the job done. Remember, they implemented that Georgia period in practice. We all know right now what Michigan's going to be all about. You're going to say, well, what about two years ago? It's a different Georgia team than two years ago. Love Georgia this year. Love Michigan just a little bit more. They have fewer question marks to me. I think they're the most complete team in college football. That's right. Today is the day we're going to make some predictions. And I don't like doing it. I'll be the first one to admit because I know freezing cold takes and everybody else are going to screenshot and give us a hard time. If we're way off, y'all, we're doing the best we can. All we have to go on is last year's tape, evaluating the portal players, and just trying to figure out and trying to figure out how these teams are going to perform. It's an impossible task, but we're going to try to do it here and do it the best we possibly can here on Always College Football. There are some bold ones, I might add. There are a few bold takes as far as conference championship players. Uh, maybe not conference champions, which I don't think we went too bold on any of those. But as far as who they're playing against in the conference championship game, some of those might surprise you. I'm Greg McElroy. Thanks for being with us. This has been a terrific offseason, but it's time to put the offseason fodder to bed. We're going to break down USC's performance against San Jose State. We're going to break down Notre Dame's performance against Navy. We are in season now, ladies and gentlemen, putting a bow on week zero with a few takeaways and a couple of tips of the cap, especially to the UMass Minutemen who haven't done something in my lifetime. So very, very happy for them. I would encourage all of you to continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. We will be here for you all season long with reaction, with strong analysis, with strong opinion, with the occasional interview, with some gambling takes. So this is your home for college football this whole season. Without much further ado, let's dive in. Couple takeaways from week zero action for the USC Trojans and the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Let's start with some takeaways from week zero. Okay, we're going to spend most of our time talking about Notre Dame. We're going to spend a lot of our time talking about USC because those two programs... I think are within striking distance of the college football playoff. Now, based on what I saw this past weekend, do I feel better about their possibility of getting to the final four? Ah, we'll get to that in a minute. But these two teams, everyone and their brother was paying attention to what they had in store for us. Let's start with SC. A couple of things I really liked about SC. I like the fact that Caleb Williams is still a star. I like their young nucleus of talent. We had talked a couple weeks ago about the likelihood of Zachariah Branch becoming a major difference maker for this team. We talked about it probably three, four weeks ago, said he's a name I'm continuing to hear buzz about. Well, he proved pretty quickly in being the first player since Adoree Jackson back in 2016 for SC to have a touchdown catch and scoring on a kick return. So we're talking about a guy that's the real deal. Zachariah Branch is going to be a huge part of this offense moving forward. And it just appears like he's just beginning to scratch the surface. One thing that was a bit of a question mark was the offensive line. Offensive line was almost difficult to kind of evaluate. They almost treated last week's game against San Jose State as a dress rehearsal for what we're going to get down the road. They're rotating players in and out. There's guys doing this. There's guys doing that. Alani Noah, another true freshman, by the way, first true freshman to start a guard in a season opener since 2014. He rotated in and out. A few other guys rotated in as well. Another guy I was also paying attention to is Tackett Curtis. We had talked about him on the show previously. Didn't do a ton 
but he's clearly the guy that they feel really good about starting at inside linebacker. And the first one to start at inside linebacker as a true freshman since 2015. So this top five, top seven, top eight, depending on the service recruiting class for SC, they're already starting to see some of the dividends being paid. A couple of big problems. The rush defense. Uh, I, I, let's just take things into, into consideration just a little bit. I like Barry Alexander. I like Byers or Bars. I like Anthony Lucas. Um, I think there's a lot to be excited about with that, but the depth is still very much a question mark for me. You look at what Conley was able to rip off a couple of long runs late in the game. You got the 57-yarder, the 36-yarder in the fourth quarter. Leading up to that point, it felt like, hey, maybe USC's rush defense in general has kind of taken the next step, but those big plays given up by the backups, not something I want to see. I thought coverage was for the most part, sporadic, couple of wide open touchdowns, couple of busted coverages. That's got to be cleaned up as they move forward. So I think all in all, it was a fine performance from SC offensively. I thought Caleb Williams took a few too many hits. I don't like how they exposed him to some of the rush. Uh, but defensively, still a much, still very much a work in progress at the moment. They need to get that improved drastically as the schedule will heat up here moving forward. A little bit more of a complete performance came from Notre Dame. Really impressive. From the first drive all the way through, so much to like. I do think a lot of this has to do with the fact that we still perceive Navy as a legit, you know, eight, nine, ten win football team. They're not anymore. They're not what they once were. But I thought they might keep it a little interesting early on because they had a new offense and they had a new coach and they were going to supposedly do a little bit more through the air. Well, when they missed the throw early, it's like they got scared a bit and it really never materialized into much whatsoever. Audric Estime and that depth at running back is outstanding. They are in such good shape there. You just tell, I mean, right there. And I don't know exactly what the pecking order is going to be. I think Estime is your guy. If you're going to be that ground and pound style of attack, Estimates your guy, but man, you can kind of go down the list there. I mean, Devin Ford, uh, another guy that I'm really excited about. I mean, can they go five deep at that position? Yeah, I, I think you can. And that is really encouraging knowing what they want to be in this offense. I thought Sam Hartman was tremendous, uh, really accurate. There were some tight windows. I'll talk about that in just a minute. There were some tight windows that he had to squeeze the ball into. But what I was most impressed with with Sam Hartman was how he moved in the pocket. He was patient in the pocket. See him just slide off the spot, make a defender miss, extend the play just a little bit, and delivers a nice throw down the field. You can just tell the quarterback play has drastically improved from what it's been. Not a knock against Drew Pine. Not a knock against Tyler Buckner. Not a knock against Jack Cohn. But it felt a lot more like when Ian Book was under center. Uh, and maybe a guy that's maybe even slightly more accurate than Ian Book down the field. So very encouraged by what I saw in his debut for the Fighting Irish. I thought their efficiency on first and 10 was off the charts. They averaged 10 yards a play on first down. And if you can just think about how, where they were on third down, I mean, they were six of eight throwing the football, Sam Hartman was, on third down. I mean, that is where you make your money as a starting quarterback is on third down. Can you extend drives? And Sam Hartman and co. were able to do so, but in large part due to the fact that they were really on schedule throughout most of the afternoon. Defensively, solid. Not a whole lot that I'm, I'm going to really... I don't think that's an offense they're going to see again. So is their defensive prowess, if you will, 
going to be reflected moving forward based on how they played. I thought they were solid. I thought they were very solid across the board. I was encouraged by Jaden Greathouse. Uh, the true freshman, of course, had a touchdown, that 35-yard touchdown. Very encouraged by that. The one thing I was a little worried about, and we told you we would be watching the wide receivers closely, the separation from Notre Dame's wide receivers against Navy's defensive backs was not as significant as I would have liked to see. Now, you're going to be able to create separation against Navy. You would just hope that that separation would be three and four yards, not one to two yards. And also, at the same time, when you start improving the competition that you're going to be facing, whether it be Clemson or Ohio State, will the separation be enough to be able to create big plays through the year? I thought it was a job well done in week one, but I also acknowledge that the level of competition is probably not where it needs to be. So I'm still waiting right now, still waiting to see this wide receiver core as a whole really grow and turn into a formidable force. Two other significant notes from the weekend. UMass, their first season opening win against an FBS opponent since 1984. Hang on, you heard that right. Their first regular season win in an opener against an FBS opponent since 1984. I was born in 1988. So in my lifetime, I have never seen UMass start 1-0 against an FBS opponent. Congrats to the Minutemen. Congrats to what I think is an improved roster, by the way. I watched that game. Uh, that's an improved roster. And it's not just Tyson Pumachan. That's an improved roster across the board. I think they have more talent than they've had in recent years. So maybe they can be a little bit of a thorn in the side for some of the teams that they'll obviously be heavier underdogs against here moving forward. And then finally, Vanderbilt. Back-to-back seasons with a win over an FBS opponent for the second time in 25 years. So they beat Middle Tennessee in 2017 and 2018. That's the first time they've started 1-0 in consecutive years against an FBS opponent. They've now done it twice. They've beaten Hawaii last year and they beat Hawaii this year. And Dericky Wright, couple interceptions in the game. He had five interceptions since last season dating all the way back to week one. The rest of the team has just three. So if you're a quarterback playing against Vandy, probably don't want to be looking in Durkee Wright's direction. Uh, I thought AJ Swan had some nice moments. That the offensive line struggled for the most part. Not exactly what you want. And then I thought collectively it was just kind of a sloppy effort from, from Vanderbilt all around. But they get the win and they start 1-0 for the second consecutive year. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, the hold me to them conference championship picks and college football playoff picks for 2023. Now, some people say you cheated. You cheated because you did not put these out before week zero. You got to take a peek at Notre Dame. You got to take a peek at USC, and now you get to make your evaluations accordingly. Well, I'm just going to tell you, I made these picks last week. Uh, so, and you're probably going to notice I don't have USC and I don't have Notre Dame in the college football playoff. I don't have USC in the Pac-12 championship game. Why? I'll explain in just a minute. But last week's performance didn't really impact my decision-making on these preseason picks. I'm going to tell you there's a couple examples in which I get real bold. And I'm not, y'all know me, I'm not trying to like throw a bunch of craziness against the wall. It's it's not really my MO. I really believe these things. I'm not trying to get a stir. I'm not trying to go viral. I could care less about that. 
All I care about is evaluating the landscape and trying to give you the best possible assessment under the circumstances, okay? So without much further ado, we're going to go in alphabetical order of our conference championship selections. In the Atlanta Coast Conference, they are abandoning divisions, which I think is really exciting, I might add. Uh, I'm very, very encouraged by this because the ACC has long been very stacked on the Atlantic, not so stacked on the Coastal. So abandoned divisions, totally good with this. My ACC conference champion, the Florida State Seminoles. I look at the roster. I look at where they've improved. I look at the additions that they've made in the portal, notably Fentrell Cypress, who I think is a lockdown corner. Braden Fisk, there on the interior of the defensive line, who's just a heavy-handed worker there in the middle who's going to do all the dirty work, which is going to allow Verse and Peyton and all these other guys to be freed up on the edges. I love their run game. I love the veteran leadership that they have at quarterback. I love their wide receiver core. Long was a position of concern, no longer the case after last year's emergence of several stars. Offensive line should be really improved. I think Mark, Mike Norvell is as good of an offensive play caller as there is in college football. I really believe that. They will be facing in the ACC championship game, the Louisville Cardinals. Probably a bit of a surprise to many, but I look at the additions that Louisville has made in the portal. Big believer in Jeff Braun. If you look at what he inherited at Purdue, and if you look at the personnel that he found ways to win games with. Now, granted, yes, he had Rondale Moore. Yes, he had other guys that were terrific at wide receiver. Yes, he had very capable quarterbacks. I understand all of that. But I also acknowledge that this guy is so creative when it comes to neutralizing a pass rush because at Purdue, they couldn't run the ball and they weren't very good in pass protection and they had to face the likes of some really, really, really good pass rushers over the last couple of years. They're going to have to do so again. And I look at Louisville's schedule. I think it's, for the most part, relatively manageable. I think this team can be really dangerous. I don't think the roster is as bad as some people have been led to believe. I think the roster is actually quite good. I just think the relationship between Scott Satterfield and the university got a little sideways. And as a result, they just never really hit their potential in his time there. Well, with Jeff Brom, everything's aligned. You're probably wondering, what about Clemson? I'm not sold on Clemson right now. I have question marks. I think what has long been their strongest attribute, their front seven defensively, I don't think they're as good in the front four as they've been in the past. I don't think they're as good at wide receiver as they've been in the past. I don't think quarterback Cade Klubnick is an all-American potential type of player, not at this stage of his development. I think Garrett Riley will do a great job with them. I think they'll be a really good, solid football team. I just am not 100% sold at the moment on them making it to the ACC championship game. I think they could lose a couple games. I really could. I think including that game against Florida State, you look at the rest of your schedule, I think they could definitely lose a couple games. So I am going to take a chance and roll the dice on Louisville because I think Jeff Brom is going to be really thoughtful. I think Jack Plummer is a really solid option to quarterback. I think they have excellent wide receivers. They were really disruptive along the front defensively last year. So I think Louisville's got a chance to surprise some folks there in the ACC. Let's go over to the Big Ten. This one, not quite as difficult to project for me. The ACC is really hard, I might add. It's really difficult. Everyone thinks it's the top two. Everyone thought it was going to be the top two last year. Well, North Carolina came surging and, and obviously stole the coastal last year. So the ACC to me is very challenging. The Big Ten, not so much. Still divisions. 
I think there's a clear front runner in each. I look at Michigan. That's who I think wins the Big Ten. Michigan is going to be, I think, improved at almost every position. I think the receivers, painfully underrated. Running back tandem, as good as there is in college football. J.J. McCarthy, with a full year of offseason work as the starting quarterback, is only going to get better and is only going to excel. I look at the defense. I think they have more twitch in the front four than just about anybody in the league. I think they're very solid at the second level, and their secondary should be a remarkable strength. I look at Michigan top to bottom, and I think they are as complete a football team as there is in America. Now, will they get it done? We'll find out, but I like their chances very much in some of the matchups that they have, especially knowing how things went last year against the likes of Ohio State and Penn State. So Michigan is going to win the Big Ten. They will beat Wisconsin in the Big Ten championship game. I've long talked about Wisconsin. I have a lot of love for the Badgers this year. I look at the rest of the Big Ten West, too, by the way. Iowa, some rumblings about Cade McNamara's health and things like that. I think Iowa is a solid football team. I think they're a physical football team, but I'm not sure they're going to quite have the firepower that Wisconsin will have. Minnesota, I think they come back to earth a little bit. Not sold on their wide receivers. I think Ethan Calliak-Manis is a really solid prospect, but is going to need a little bit of time. And I think those receivers need to grow if this offense is going to become a little bit more balanced. And I think replacing Mo Ibrahim is going to be really difficult. The rest of the the West is as follows. I, I'm just I think Wisconsin is by far and away the best team. They have sound defense. They have really, really, really well-coached defensive front. I think their offensive and defensive coordinators were home runs in many ways for Luke Fickle. And I think he's going to breathe some energy into an offense that has been stagnant. And yet they're not going to abandon the run. A lot of people think Phil Longo can't run the football. Phil Longo led the ACC in rushing the last four years. So he's going to run the football and commit to the run at Wisconsin again. But he's now got a very capable quarterback. I think he's got really improved weapons on the perimeter. So I think Wisconsin is going to be a problem, but not enough of a problem to overtake Michigan, who wins the Big Ten. Let's go to the Big 12. This one is not going to be very popular at the Big 12 conference office. Just saying. I got the Texas Longhorns over the Oklahoma Sooners in the Big 12 championship game. Texas has the best roster. They have and improved front seven defensively. Offensive line, not yet a position of strength, but you look at the league, the league as a whole, there's not a ton of crazy good, crazy deep, crazy disruptive front sevens defensively. There's just not a lot of them, not in this league right now. For whatever reason, it's just not the strength of the league. The strength of the league's on the perimeter. And the receivers for Texas are as good as everybody. I think they're every bit as good as, as what Ohio State has. I think they're as good as what LSU has. I think they're as good as what Kentucky has. I mean, so you think about, I think as good as what SC has. I think it's some of the groups that would be considered the best in college football at the receiver position. Texas maybe doesn't overtake Ohio State, but at worst, they're two compared to what the Buckeyes might be there at number one. So I love Texas this year. I think Quinn Ewers is going to be more mature. I think they're going to be really solid at running back, even though they're going to lose and miss Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson. I know they're going to miss those guys, but I think they have adequate replacements behind them that I know they feel really good about. And then really, I don't think I need to convince a whole lot of people of Texas getting the job done. That one, I think a lot of people have really warmed up to. But what I think I need to convince people of is the fact that Oklahoma 
has improved drastically in the front seven defensively, which was a significant issue. I think Brent Venables bounces back into big gear this year. They still have talent at wide receiver. I think they have an excellent quarterback in Dylan Gabriel. I think the offensive line has a chance to be just as good, if not maybe slightly better than they were a year ago last year. And I don't think they're going to give up as many big plays because it's going to have a better understanding of what they need to be defensively as far as structure is concerned to be able to get to a nine and three or an eight and four. And I think at eight and four, nine and three, that could get you into the Big 12 championship game. I think there's going to be a lot. I'm telling you, I think there's, and I'll tell my playoff picks in a bit, I think there's going to be a lot of carnage in the Big 12. I think you're going to look at a Texas team, maybe 10 and two, maybe look at an Oklahoma team and say nine and three. They'll be teeing it up for the Big 12 championship game there in Dallas. And I think Texas right now has the edge over the Sooners when it comes to the Big 12. Let's go to the Pac-12. Speaking of carnage, expecting a lot of it out West this year. This could be my boldest pick, but I think you'll understand why I'm going down this rabbit hole in just a moment when I explain it. I have Washington winning the Pac-12. That isn't as difficult for, I think, a lot of people to wrap their head around. You consider what they were last year. Michael Penix coming back with two or three excellent, excellent wide receivers. I mean, a receiver room that can go. I just referenced Texas and Ohio State and LSU and, and Kentucky and all these others. Washington's right there. I mean, they are the real deal as far as quality depth on the perimeter. I think the running the football will be the thing I'm watching probably the most early on because I want to see if they're going to complement and, and be able to run the ball. Now, they, they're without their lead back, got, got banged up. The transfer from Mississippi State, Dylan Johnson's in. I think he's an excellent back. I think he's got a chance to have a really nice year to complement that passing attack. But we all know this thing is going to start and finish with Michael Penix. I expect him to have a massive year. I think he's a terrific player. And he's now in year two. Well, he's been in the system before, but he's in year two at Washington in the system with the chemistry that he's developed with those wide receivers. I think they're in great position to pick up where they left off and have a special season. But what I think is the most underrated aspect of Washington this year is their pass rush. I mean, uh, Trice is just terrific coming off the edge. An excellent, excellent player. Is he the best in college football on the perimeter? I don't know if I'd say he's the best, but he's in the top five for me as far as pure pass rush speed, agility, power. He's 275 pounds, but he's got enough speed to be able to get home if you need him to. So that's a great building block piece. I think the rest of the front seven is very adequate. The big question last year was the back end, the passing attack, but they had some injuries. They had some attrition there. I think that should be solidified this year because a lot of guys that played in the past are back and hopefully will be improved. Washington wins the Pac-12. But who do they beat? This one might surprise many of you. But those that have dove in, that have listened to me this offseason, will understand where I'm coming from. I was going to go Utah. I'll be the first one to admit. I was going to go Utah. But Cam Rising is listed as the starter week one. But I'm just a little bit concerned. I'm just a little bit concerned about Utah. I think their schedule is challenging as well. So I actually have Utah finishing third in the Pac-12. The team I have finishing second are the Oregon State Beavers. And a lot of people are going to say, wait, hang on a second. Oregon, Utah, SC, and you're taking Oregon State? I promise you, this is not in an effort to just create fodder. I don't care about that. When I look at the teams in the Pac-12 that I don't want to play, 
Oregon State is at worst 1B to Utah's 1A. At worst, they are physical. They bring back arguably the best offensive line in school history. They bring back what I think is going to be a remarkably talented backfield. They have a headliner at the position as well. I think the wide receivers are not elite by any stretch of the imagination, but they will be improved because I think DJ Uwe Ungalale is going to improve the quarterback's spot so significantly that when they marry up play action with what should be the best rushing attack in the Pac-12, that's going to be a huge problem for a lot of teams. They have had turnover issues in the past. That is not going to be the case this year. DJ Uyunglele is really good. He did not read the middle of the field very well at Clemson. Did not do a great job on the underneath at Clemson. But what he did do well was he hit deep balls. And he was very good off play action. It's a perfect marriage for what he excels at and what Oregon State needs at the position. And with how they control the clock and the defensive front and the front seven defense, like they're going to be able to get after you. They're going to be able to wear you out. I am very, very optimistic about how this defense is going to play. They're going to shorten the game. They're going to shrink the game. And I look at the matchups. All their toughest games are at home. They do have to go on the road to Oregon in the final game of the season, which will be a really difficult game. But I think they match up pretty well against Oregon. I think they match up pretty well against pretty much everybody in the Pac-12. So I like Oregon State to get to the championship game, but to come up short against a passing attack that's just too much in the Washington Huskies. And then finally, we'll go to the SEC. I've gone around and around and around on this one because I love LSU. I love A&M. I obviously love Georgia, and I obviously love Alabama. I think there are four teams that are a cut above right now. I also think Tennessee, if I see what I need to see from Joe Milton against Virginia week one, I will definitely have them in the elite category as well. But I think that there's a very, very, very difficult thing for me to figure out is the intangibles. Everybody's got talent in the SEC. Every one of the aforementioned teams have talent. What Georgia had better than anybody the last couple of years is they not only had talent, but they had an edge. And I think that edge is actually residing in Tuscaloosa right now. Alabama's team feels close. They have a collective chip on the shoulder. I've been to practice. I've been around the program. This group feels focused, and they feel prepared to take the next step. I have Alabama winning the SEC, and I know that that, that is probably going to be a difficult thing to, to sell everybody on, knowing that there are legitimate question marks at quarterback. I understand that. But I look at the first-year starting quarterbacks that have won national championships for Nick Saban. I was one of them. A.J. McCarron was one of them. Jake Coker was one of them. There have been several. Mac Jones, first-year starting quarterback in 20. He played a lot in 2019. First-year starting quarterback in 20, he won a national championship. It is not completely unprecedented that a younger, less experienced starting quarterback can win big-time games for Alabama because I really believe that this Alabama team is going to get back to their roots and playing the murder ball style that we came to know and love for an extended period of time. You think about their offensive line. Six foot five, 330 pounds across the board. That's the average height and weight of this group. They will move people. They are very physical. They're a very proud bunch, and they have a deep stable of running backs that they are going to feature throughout the course of the game. Tommy Reese, we know who he is. He is three yards in the cloud of dust. He wants to pound you offensively. I think that's exactly what Alabama is going to be 
coming into the season. I think that they are going to be able to shrink the game enough to win close games, and that will allow their defense to improve drastically. They gave up a lot of big plays in recent years. I think secondary is their strength. I think their secondary with Cooley McKinstry, Terry on Arnold, off the charts good. Jalen Key, transfer from UAB at safety. They love him, and Caleb Downs, the true freshman. I haven't heard them rave about a true freshman in the back end like this since Mika Fitzpatrick arrived on campus eight, nine years ago, whatever year that was. And then the second level, Deontay Lawson, I think has a chance to become an eraser in the front four. Dallas Turner and Braswell are going to breathe heat off the edge, but Jaheim Otis on the interior can cause some problems as well. Like Alabama is in a great position to make a run this year. Week two will be a really difficult game against Texas. That's when we'll get a good indicator of what this team can potentially achieve down the road. Out of the East, I'm taking Georgia. Shouldn't require a whole lot of explanation there. They're by far the best team in the East, and it'll be a heavyweight battle between Alabama and Georgia there for the SEC championship game. I have Alabama beating LSU at home. That's part of the reason why I have them coming out of the West. I do think Alabama's 11-1 loss potentially at Texas A&M. That would be the one I'd circle if I were the Crimson Tide. So I gave you my champions out of the Power Five. Alabama, Texas, Washington, Michigan, and Florida State. The college football playoff rankings at season's end, I anticipate looking like this. Number one will be Michigan. They will square off against the Georgia Bulldogs, who will be the fourth ranked team in the college football playoff rankings. At number two, Alabama, the champions of the SEC, will beat Florida State in the semifinal game. Florida State, champions of the ACC. I think they have a chance to be 12-1 and or so. They might blow one at some point, but I think Florida State will find their way into the playoff yet again for the first time since 2014. Number one, Michigan against number four, Georgia. I think Michigan gets the job done. Remember, they implemented that Georgia period in practice. We all know right now what Michigan's going to be all about. You're going to say, well, what about two years ago? It's a different Georgia team than two years ago. Love Georgia this year. Love Michigan just a little bit more. They have fewer question marks to me. I think they're the most complete team in college football. Michigan over Georgia in the semis. Alabama over Florida State in the semis. And then for the national championship, I'm taking the Michigan Wolverines over the Alabama Crimson Tide to win the Natty here in 2023-2024 national championship game. All right, you heard my predictions for the regular season coming up this year. A couple things that were pretty bold. Oregon State being in the Pac-12 championship game, Oklahoma being in the Big 12 championship game. So I have a few bold ones in there. Louisville being in the ACC championship game, which I think would surprise a ton of people, but it wouldn't shock me. When you look at all these bold predictions, those were mine. Here are yours. We've been stocking them up for a while now, and our producers, both Mark and Jack, have been putting some together as well. So here's a list of some bold predictions that we've put together here over the last couple months. So Coops, kick it off. All right. First one, Graham Mertz will be better than people think. How bold is this? Because I think that this is actually highly likely. A lot of people seem to throw the baby out with the bathwater as it relates to starting quarterbacks. Hey, they weren't great as freshmen, so they'll never be good. That's it's not the case. Sometimes you get better. And sometimes when you step into a place where the expectations for your success are through the roof, remember Graham Mertz was supposed to be the Wisconsin savior. That's a difficult spot to be in. Think about how it affected Bo Nix at Oregon. Went to Auburn. Son of a of an Auburn quarterback, a legacy. Grew up loving the Auburn Tigers and the weight of the world just 
pushed him down to where he had some great moments, but he also had some really subpar moments. Goes to Oregon, gets a fresh start. Things have been terrific. Maybe that happens for DJ Uyunglele. Look at what Hendon Hooker had to endure at Virginia Tech. He started at Virginia Tech, not bad, but was ultimately replaced, goes to Tennessee, has an unbelievable finish to his career. How about Michael Penix? Maybe not great at Indiana early on, transfers to Washington, and look at the season that he had in 22. So we've seen this happen before. Sometimes a fresh start is all you need. And I think Graham Mertz has a chance to have a much better year than people anticipate. All right, Greg, here's one. Penn State or Michigan will lead the nation in rushing. And only twice in the last 10 years has a Power 5 team led the nation in rushing with Georgia Tech in 2018 and Auburn in 2013. It wouldn't really surprise me if either one of these two programs leads the nation in rushing. But here's the thing about the Big Ten. The Big Ten, and just if you just go back and look, look at last year, and it it's doesn't always hold true, but the Big Ten... Their strongest attribute collectively. I'm talking about all the way from the bottom of the league in Northwestern to the top of the league in Michigan. The league as a whole has traditionally been remarkably strong against the run. Now, they were number one last year by a wide margin over the SEC. I want to say last year they averaged across the board giving up like 13 less yards on the ground a game than the SEC. So they were pacing college football by a wide margin. The league as a whole traditionally is excellent in the front seven defensively. Now, maybe not the greatest pass rushers. Maybe you're not going to have the same twitch that you'll get in the SEC or the ACC or in some cases the Pac-12. But they're stout, they're strong, they're heavy, and they're difficult to run for big yardage against. So I think that this is probably a little bit too bold, but I would anticipate both Michigan and Penn State being very solid with their dynamic running backs. And also too, especially with Penn State, I think you could maybe see a little bit more heavy play action, which would only improve the run game as well. And don't forget with Michigan, you got JJ McCarthy's legs, which are an issue as well. So I don't think either one will lead the country in rushing, but I'd be surprised if they're not inside the top 10, top 15 at season's end. All right, I got one here. Drake May will prove to be the best quarterback in college football, but it will not show in the North Carolina record. Well, the thing I'd say about Drake May is right now, as of this moment, and I'd be a little surprised, I'm sure you guys are are probably watching it closely, is Tez Walker going to be available Probably not. Uh, based on everything that we know up to this point, they're obviously filing an appeal. But his supporting cast, while still talented, and if you look at some of the weapons that are back, whether it's J.J. Jones or you know Kobe Pesor, who we've been talking about here for a little while, uh, Nate McCollum, I think they're really deep at running back. I don't know if his supporting cast on the perimeter without Josh Downs will be as good as it was a year ago. It might be, and maybe there's a guy or two that we don't know about just yet. So if his numbers are comparable as they were last year, if he continues to contribute with his legs, if he has them within striking distance of the ACC championship game berth, then you can make a case that he's as good as there is in college football. Now, is anyone going to put him over Caleb Williams? Probably not, because I think Caleb Williams' highlight real plays are going to leave an impression with people that will evaluate the sport 
they're going to leave a different impression because he does things that are just unthinkable. Drake may a little bit more predictable with how he plays can definitely make plays and can definitely move. And, and he's going to fit in tight windows and throw guys open and, and keep you honest with his legs. But I don't think he's going to have the highlight real play that Caleb Williams has. So I don't think they're ever going to necessarily put him above Caleb Williams, but I'll be fascinated. This will be something it's kind of a storyline within the storyline. We don't care that much about the NFL draft here. You guys know that, but I will be interested to see how NFL draft analysts evaluate these two, assuming Caleb Williams repeats what he does last year. If he wins another Heisman, then all right, then forget about it. But if they are comparable to what they did last year, how will talent evaluators differentiate between the two? And is the gap as wide as some people might currently think? Because I don't think the gap is crazy wide. I think it's wide. I think it's decent enough. Drake May is definitely the number two quarterback in the country for me. But I think Caleb Williams as of right now, is viewed by many as in a league of his own. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because I think Drake May's best can be right there alongside Caleb Williams' best as well. All right, Greg, you know I'm all about this one. Georgia, who is currently on a 27-game regular season winning streak, will not go undefeated this regular season. And we saw last year the game against Missouri, right? And, and Missouri was a sneaky, decent team in the front seven. They didn't have their best stuff. But if you look at their schedule, man, I mean, they are very healthy favorites in every single game, including the game at your house there, Jack. At Neyland right now, they're about a two-touchdown favorite. And obviously that game's months from now. But that's kind of how Vegas sees the matchup as far as their power ratings are concerned. I think Georgia probably will go undefeated. In the regular season, I'm trying to figure out where they're going to lose. If the game against Tennessee last year was closer than it was, then maybe I could see that one being a very difficult spot. But I'm having a hard time figuring out. I mean, is Ole Miss going to give them a game? Or could they lose at Auburn? I, I don't see it yet. So I think they probably will go undefeated in the regular season. But as I told you before, I think they slip up maybe in the SEC championship game and still find their way to the college football playoff. If they do go undefeated, they will have won 39 straight games, which ties a modern record with Miami, who won 39 straight from 99 to 04. All right. How about this one, Greg? The Big 12 will have another surprise team in the conference championship game, and it might be Oklahoma State. I'm not on board with Oklahoma State this year. Uh, I think they're a 6-7 win football team in that vicinity. Um, have some questions. Uh, have some questions about... Really, their personnel is it's not it's not bad by any stretch, but they had a couple guys leave via the portal, which is a little concerning. And I just I'm not a hundred percent sold. I think the schedule's tricky as well. I think Oklahoma would be a surprise team to many if they made it to the conference championship game. A lot of people love Kansas State, totally understand that. I love aspects of their program as well. A lot of people love TCU. Uh Oklahoma's ranked in the top 20, but are they ranked in the top 20 based on their personnel or are people just cautiously optimistic that they're going to improve greatly in Brent Venable's second year? So I obviously have Oklahoma in the Big 12 championship game. So depending on how you evaluate the Sooners, maybe you view that as a surprise. The sneaky team to keep an eye on, though, is Texas Tech. It's not Oklahoma State. It's not any of these other teams. It's Texas Tech. Texas Tech, granted, they're going to have some difficult games. It's go on the road to a couple tough spots. Keep an eye on them and then keep an eye on Baylor. I think Baylor is the team that a lot of people are kind of sleeping on. Um, of course, a couple years removed from from being in, in the Big 12 championship game and winning the Big 12 championship game against Oklahoma State. So I think Baylor is another team that is not getting enough coverage that could be really tricky and dangerous 
for some of the aforementioned conference championship favorites there in the Big 12. Well, Mike Gundy hasn't had back-to-back losing conference records since his first two years in Stillwater, which is 04 and 05, so something to keep an eye on there. But let's go out west for this last one here. The Pac-12 will cannibalize itself so much that no team will win eight conference games. Well, eight, the meaning basically that every team in the Pac-12 will go 7-2 and two in conference. That's probably about right. Uh, I, I think you just heard how I evaluate it. I mean, I think USC has some holes on defense. I think they have some question marks on that side of the ball. Uh, I look at, at Utah. I think Utah's really, really sound. I think they're really, really good. But Cam Rising, you know, is he available? Is he not available? Backup quarterbacks hurt. What if he misses some time? He's, I mean, he takes a lot of hits. He plays a lot. Uh, he runs the ball a lot. If he's, for whatever reason, unavailable for a game, maybe two, then that's going to have a huge impact on my evaluation of Utah. Uh, I think Oregon, they were so dependent last year on, on Bo Nix's health when he got a little banged up down the stretch. Did he play as well? I, I think he could regress just maybe ever so slightly. Kenny Dillingham did such a beautiful job just simplifying things for him. I love their OC hire, but I just want to see exactly how he feels in that offense before I'm willing to kind of put them at the top of the league. Just looking across the board, man, the Pac-12 is as deep and as good as I've ever seen it. It is so good. It's so deep. It's going to be highly entertaining. And then you think about some of the dangerous teams. We just hit all the favorites, right? UCLA is crazy dangerous, right? They're going to, I know in case they go with a freshman quarterback, uh, maybe they have some growing pains. Maybe they have some ups and downs, but USC is crazy, or UCLA is crazy dangerous. They can beat anyone in the league. We saw it last year. Arizona, I think, has become overnight a very dangerous football team. They have excellent quarterback and Jaden Delora, who's really difficult to contain, can make a lot of plays. So he would be a guy that I would not want to mess with. I think Washington State is a very dangerous football team. Implementing a new offense where they push the ball down the field a little bit more, that's going to be difficult. That, that Tennessee-style offense, if you will, that Baylor-style offense from 10 years ago or so, 8 or 10 years ago, that's a difficult offense to defend. What TCU did last year, they're doing a lot of that at Washington State. So I think even the teams that you would perceive to be eight, nine, 10 in the conference could knock off teams one, two, three. That's why I think this is not that bold. I think it's actually highly likely, which is why I have the Pac-12 champion Washington not in my college football playoff projections as of right now. That'll do it for us here at Always College Football. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Please, if you could, that'd be awesome. You can also subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and hit that thumbs up button if you're down on the YouTube page. So we appreciate you guys very much. For all of us here at Always College Football, for Mark, Jake, Jack, I'm Greg. We hope you have a wonderful day. And remember, it's Always College Football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.